0: Comunidad, Alexis Terrazas here, El Tecolote editor in chief, and welcome back to another episode of Radio Teco News. Over the last few years, we've seen many in our communities be the targets of xenophobic and racist scapegoating. These attacks have been known to come from right-wing politicians desperate to capitalize on the fears of their less-informed constituents. But what happens when these attacks come from within the so-called progressive safe haven of San Francisco?
1: There are, unfortunately, a lot of people who um, come from a particular country, come from Honduras, and a lot of the people who are dealing drugs happen to be of that, ethnicity.
0: It is time for San Francisco to withdraw the protection of sanctuary from any undocumented immigrant who is trafficking fentanyl on our streets. That was the voice of San Francisco Mayor Lyndon Breed last October and District 6 Supervisor Matt Dorsey earlier this year, clearly attempting to blame San Francisco's fentanyl crisis on migrants, specifically migrants from Honduras. And in July, The Chronicle, San Francisco's major daily newspaper, published this headline. A housing boom in one area of Honduras, rooted in migration to the U.S., is being fueled by drug sales in San Francisco. The 18-month-long investigation, while drawing applause from liberal and right-wing circles alike, drew the ire of many in community. The piece inspired discussions, essays, and op-eds all trying to provide much-needed context that many felt was missing from the Chronicle's reporting. For this next episode, we explore that context by sitting down with three Central Americans, San Francisco Salvadoran journalist and author Roberto Lovato, Honduran scholar and Pitzer College professor Suyapa Portillo, and Salvadoran columnist and former professor Nestor Castillo.
1: If it's journalism, it's yellow journalism, shallow, uh, dangerous in its shallowness, because of the repercussions in, in the realm of policy and and of perception.
0: That's Roberto Lovato, an author and journalist who was born and raised in San Francisco's Mission District.
1: You read the story in the heads from the headline down, and you think we're being—it fits the invader narrative. Uh, tweaked to 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 focus on drugs as a journalist I'm appalled at the at the at the fact that the Chronicle even decided to publish such bullshit as a fellow journalist I, I I I don't see this as journalism it's it's more if it's an ism it's racism posing as journalism. As a Central American, uh, I would just say I've dedicated my entire adult life to dispelling, fighting, racist depictions. There's a whole history of racist depictions of Central Americans. You know, you need racist depictions to do things like have policies where Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and any U.S. president from here on in is going to be caging and uh, separating children up as young as three or four years old. So it, it, it's it's the journalism of degeneracy of a degenerate city of of a of a city, and and the, and, the, and this this piece follows hand in glove with the racist statements of Mayor London Breed and the uh, the uh, district attorney the district attorney Brook Jenkins Brooke Jenkins who instead of really looking at solving the deep issues of poverty and racism and displacement and migration and this whole complex of local and global issues that bring about Honduran and Central American migration. They decided to choose the Pete Wilson, Donald Trump, racist approach. It's all degenerate, Mm -hmm. really, it's decadent Mm -hmm. as far as um, how you take an entire community and you make them the source of the drug problem in San Francisco, I grew up in San Francisco. I used to do drugs. I used to deal drugs here in this, in the Mission, as a Central American kid growing up. And um, so I I know from the bottom up, and I've reported as a journalist on the narco wars. I've gone to Central America. I've embedded myself among gangs, and and I've I've, I've interviewed narco leaders, and I've I've really put in. The time, it's obvious they just parachuted it, you know, delivered the exotic goods their editors wanted and published it with the exotified, you know, it's just frustrating to see the continuation of this old pattern.
0: Suyapa Portillo migrated with her mother from Honduras to Los Angeles when she was just a child. They were undocumented and homelessness and uncertainty were a constant. Portillo is now an associate professor of Chicana Chicano, Latina Latino, Transnational Studies at Pitzer College. Here's her take.
2: Yeah, so the, the first thing I thought, thought was that this um, piece, the scapegoating Honduran immigrants and all immigrants, right? Because we can see that this can be applied to other immigrants, right? Scape, scapegoating immigrants particularly 100 immigrants, are on a very serious drug addiction problem in the United States, right? It's capitalism. Supply and demand. If there's no demand, there's no supply. So the problem here is really that extremely large problem with addiction that Americans have that keep fueling the drug industry, right? And so why aren't legislators uh, focusing on the problems facing drug addiction in this country? How easy it is for young people to access drugs and things like that. I mean, gun laws, let's, let's even think about that. The second thing I thought I thought about was the drug trade and how the United States has approached the drug trade um, in ways that have pushed drug trade from the Caribbean, right, used to be from Colombia to Florida, pushed it inwards from the ocean, right, the Caribbean ocean, inwards into Central America right? So that now Central America is the corridor, um, you know, for, for this region. And let's not forget that in the 1980s, the CIA sold crack cocaine, you know, to, um, to Nicaraguans, right? And to the United States to fund the war against the revolution in, in Nicaragua. And this is well documented, um, you know, that people can just quickly look at the CIA sort of, you know, getting crack cocaine into black neighborhoods to fund the war against Uh, revolutionaries in in Nicaragua. Those are the first kind of thoughts I had, right? Um, And then I thought how irresponsible this piece is particularly now with, with what we've seen, a young girl was just killed and crossing the Rio Grande, right, that what immigrants are facing, the majority of whom are from Honduras El Salvador and other countries, like, this is really irresponsible. And I know the editor said, oh, we interviewed 25 people for this piece and stuff, but you know what? Um, I think a good investigative reporter would have gone further than just talking to 25 convicted people and would have really looked at context, would have looked at home conditions, would have looked at what other agencies have to say about this particularly humanitarian agencies, right? So that pinning this issue on immigrants, particularly Honduran immigrants, is really about, you know, making a political decision here, right? And that surprises me from San Francisco Chronicle. Frankly, I expected this from a more conservative paper. Um, I wanted to see a little more context and nuance here, and, and that was disappointing to me. But I also want to draw attention to something that they could have said in this piece, and they didn't. Uh, one is, for example, um the the fact that um hondurans have zero paths to legalization many hondurans in this country are either undocumented or are currently seeking asylum they're um the people that have temporary protected status are people that came in during hurricane mitch that's 1998-99 and even if uh tp and we're very excited that PPS was extended for those people, but since then we have seen a very uh, large migration from Central Americans and, and Hondurans in general, Hondurans and Salvadorans, because of the crises of neoliberalism. Again, who pushed for free trade agreements, right? Who pushed these into Central America before those economies were ready post-revolutionary wars in Guatemala, and Salvador, and, and Nicaragua has created this, this poverty, right, in the region. And so by... You know, instead of being punitive with immigrants who are coming because the economies are failing now, right? We're seeing the failure of neoliberal free trade agreements, you know, post 10, 15 years later. Um, and people are now coming because they can live in their own country. So I want to just draw attention to the fact that, you know, there's no temporary protected status. There's The only way Hondurans can gain legal status in the United States is by marriage, married to a citizen or not, and then now by seeking asylum. But we know that those petitions are being thrown in the trash, or not considered um, during the Trump administration, right, the use of Title 42, and just the, the incredible uh, abuses against Honduran children you know that i've worked as a immigration i worked on the immigration cases as an expert oftentimes um, brought in by you know attorneys who are seeking extra information for to, to for their clients um, and i'm talking about you know i don't get paid for this this is voluntary work that i do and and i've read you know um, a, an incredible number of of cases of abuses against LGBT community members, trans community members, children and women, and having to document that kind of violence that they've experienced, uh, particularly after the coup d'etat in 2009, it's just heartbreaking. Um, but it's necessary work that I do as a scholar, um, to be able to conceptualize, you know, why are people coming, right? These are not economic immigrants. These are immigrants from war. And that's what the United States is not acknowledging and does not acknowledge, right? That they waged a war in Central America from, you know, the 1954, if you really, we can go back to other years, but let's start at 1954 that coup in Guatemala and then subsequent uh, interventions against, uh, what they said wanted to stop communism, right? Many social scientists, you know, have written about social networking. We can look at Mexico City and see what networks uh, they are to the United States, we can look at, you know, Sonora, Mexico, right? And we can look at, for instance, um, you know, we can look at, you know, Venezuela, Panama, right? This is how people migrate, right? In in social networks. So if you know that some people have made it and worked in one location doing something, uh, you will try to migrate to that place because they might help you locate, you know, a, a good job. In this case, it happens to be that, that because they had no other option, this is what they were doing. I'm not trying to justify the convicted uh, felons, right, in this case, uh, but I want to just, you know, kind of draw attention to, like, all these different um uh, issues that, that come up, right? Um, one, there is a drug addiction that is escalating and it's uh, drawing youth, and that legislators have no answers for, have no proposals. I mean, you can't even pass gun law protections for youth at this point. I mean, we are the country with the most shootings in the entire world. Um, and, you know, with sort of the most modern ways of dealing with this and and we can't even pass it because you know people are so divided and so this is an issue that that I think needs to be broader and and not just pin this one network I mean you know, locate other social networks. Compare them. Right. Um, be a true investigative reporter if you're going to go about this. Um, you know, when you interview just a, a set number of people in a set place, um, you know, and and you go back to Honduras and you corroborate. Well, did you talk to humanitarian agents in Honduras? Did you talk to the people that are actually organizing and engaging in against these kind of things? The people that help to bring Juan Orlando Hernandez, you know, a uh, proclaims. Uh, uh, narco-trafficker who was supported by the United States as president of Honduras for many years, now facing drug charges in New York.
0: And uh, one final question, so, yeah, because I know it's getting laid out there and I really appreciate this, but um, given, you know, the I guess the uh, right wing or uh, right now the Republican ticket and how it's again running on this platform, the xenophobic, racist and anti-immigrant platform um, look no further than Trump and Ron DeSantis, how dangerous Given this political context right now, nationally, how dangerous is it it for a metro, uh, the major newspaper of San Francisco to publish something like this?
2: Incredibly damaging, right? This is giving more fodder to those people who are saying that all immigrants are, are, you know, crime people or like, you know, narco traffickers and stuff like that, right? It's pulling away from the actual analysis. Um, you know of the U.S. and how the U.S. has generated uh, the crisis that we're seeing right now in Central America, so that we are now receiving immigrants from from those nations, right? Like, um, it's totally. Um, I think it'll be pulled out of context. It's going to make sound bites for the Santis or Trump, or who, who knows if Trump is going to continue, right, with this situation now. But you know, the Santis, for instance, right. Um, it, it is very harmful, and I find that, um, you know, it's, it's more fodder for, for that diatribe against immigrants. And the one thing I know about Central American immigrants is that no matter how hard they attack us, no matter how hard they put us down, no matter how hard, hard they try to kill us, we are not going to be destroyed. We're people that have survived.
0: Our last guest for this episode is Nestor Castillo. Some of our listeners may know him from El Tecolote's award-winning column, Centrospective. Here he is, talking about the rebuttal he wrote that was published in El Tecolote.
3: And was, you know, going through my inbox, looking at um, at what was in there, and, and you know, I'm a subscriber to the Chronicle, I, you know, and now I'm sort of thinking twice about whether I should continue sending them my, my money, but, so I'll, I'll get their updates, and, you know, I read their, their stuff, Um and so when I saw the headline, immediately sort of just kind of turned on, um, you know, what do the kids say is a red flag or whatever, you know, whatever the, the expression is these days. Um, but immediately sort of made something in my head go, uh-oh, this this can't be good. But I gave it the benefit of the doubt at first, you know, I, I sort of opened it and I skimmed it really quickly. And just was like, nope, this is this is bad, um, and that's when I I sort of immediately kind of got on the the started forwarding it to other people, right? And I was like, oh, Yo, have you seen this? And I forwarded it to you, forwarded it to a couple other people because I was just like, this is re- this is really dangerous. That was my immediate my immediate first thought was that this is really dangerous. This frames Hondureños Central Americans in a certain way and sort of understanding the political climate that immigrants face that people of color face um you know just within you know over the well historically but especially in these moments right but I said this this is not good this is going to this is this is going to be bad right um and so then we spoke about it and um we thought about, you know, what would it, you know, what should we do? What did, should we respond? How should we respond to this? Um, you know, and to me, it was like the range of like, should we, should we do a call for the community to respond to this? It's like a community approach? Should it be like, should, should I write something? Should you write something? Who, who can write something? Right, like. Who who are our Central Americans that we like? You know, when when Batman used to have the 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 old Adam West show, it's like let's let's hop on the Central American line and see which who is our most important Central American that we can contact in this moment, right? Uh, so I think we went through through all of that at, at, to 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 think about how to respond, um, and. I think we we chatted that day, and then by the evening, I my sort of like I had been thinking about it all day. I went through work that the entire day, sort of thinking about it, and I was just kind of as I read it, going through some of the the, the different my uh, different thoughts, and I was sort of just jotting things down. And I think that day I was like on a jog, and I was still thinking about. I was sending you things while I was while I was running, and um, I just couldn't get over, I just couldn't get over it. Um. And so that's that's sort of what the the initial rage and like disgust and and yeah, outrage and and all of the feelings sort of led to me sort of writing that piece that that evening like for the, most of it got written that evening, I think, um, or the next day, I don't really re- I don't remember exactly the time timeline, but but it yeah, it was it was a moment of just sort of like, this is really dangerous. there needs to be a response. you know, hopefully there's a more. Uh, organized community response which i think there was as a result of of it um, but uh, I, I i i i was worried that there wouldn't be anything you know and and so that's when you just you know the, the organizer in you sort of just kicks in and and starts to try to make things happen but that's sort of an, a little bit of an overview of what happened the day of that that i got that that email in my inbox that uh, the chronicle has just published this groundbreaking piece right that was the other thing it was like this is groundbreaking the chronicle is engaged in 18 months of reporting like this is... and i was like cool man knock my socks off like i was ready for it but then you see the headline and it's like whoa this is this is not it right like i think that's the saddest part of it all is that if the journalist had have approached it in a different way, it could have been a really great piece, right? It could have had a huge impact to understand the the real complexities of this issue of like, why is it that certain folks are engaged? Right. But, but it didn't go there. It was like very shallow and we can get into that.
0: No, thank you, Nestor. Yeah. And, um, but I want to ask too, man, like, you know, your piece uh, you know, you wrote it, you sent it to us. Uh, we published it online right away. Um, got a ton of traction uh, and I think it was, Probably because what you were feeling was something that a lot of folks in community were, were feeling right around that time, um, and probably still are. Um, tell me what, like, if you know, and it's people could go read it too. You know, I encourage folks to still read it if they if they haven't yet. Uh, but what was the the main you know principle that you wanted to get across? with your piece, you know, cause there've been others too, thankfully, um, you know, since then, but what was, what was the thing that you really wanted to, you know, for readers to to take away from this, especially those who are like applauding this quote, you know, groundbreaking quote expose.
3: Yeah. I think for me, it was like, where's the critical lens, right? Who, like that, that was my initial sort of, you know, and, and my background, uh, as uh, a salvadoreño who uh, you
1: know
3: raised, born and raised in the belly of the beast um, but goes to san francisco state right and is like injected uh, with with that critical perspective thanks to ethnic studies and all of that right and so like my my, my initial sort of um, spur of the moment reaction was just like let me let me te- let me tear this apart but that at the same time it was just like hold on, where's the Where's the critical eye? Where's the critical lens? Why aren't we like sort of thinking about this a little bit more profoundly? Why aren't we looking, trying to go to the root causes of this? And the piece just felt incredibly shallow, right? Like that's that was like my, my biggest sort of beef with it was that 18 months of reporting, like I don't want to take away anything from the photographer where the photos were beautiful, right? Great photos, but like At the end of the day, it had like very little substance, right? Um, A friend sent, like, I think the next day or the day, I don't remember exactly, a friend sent me the podcast version of it. And I was listening to that, and I was like, this is just as bad, right? It was like, we've arrived in Honduras. We're surprised by the dirt roads. But just, but aside the dirt roads, there's these large houses with San Francisco Bay logos on them. It's like, and we were so surprised to see this. And I'm like, what is this? Like, this is, like, this is, like even if you were like making fun of like journalism that is like kind of like the Nat Geo style approach, that's kind of, it wasn't too far from that. And I, and I think what makes it more disappointing is that the journalists are sort of like conscious of like the way in which immigrant communities can be scapegoated and can be put like and they're so like they're they're like at the same time conscious of that but also doing that right and it's like that's where it's like I'm not I I don't understand how they could spend 18 months on this an editor can look at it and not say like hey like or they you know they didn't go to or maybe they did right maybe they did go to the one you know if they have an Hondureño in the office and it, it somehow got bypassed all of these things right uh it it so you know i think more than anything i wanted folks to you know to i wanted the chronicle to look at this issue and just be more critical um and 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 the journalists right especially journalists of such um you know prestige and 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 uh well recognized um and so i think when when other folks sort of react they're sort of reacting that same way where it's like yeah this is bullshit right you'll have to beat that out right and i i think i think most people um who are um who work in community who do organizing you know um we have a strong like bullshit meter and uh, or BS meter, we have a good BS meter, and like the 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 article arrives in your inbox, and you're like, BS. I can spot it immediately. Like this is this is BS, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think the 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 critical perspective is what I wanted to sort of just engage with, right? And like just raise questions and and raise doubts and um and and yeah, sort of think about where is this really coming from, right? Um, I think. The, the the author of the piece um, was like awarded for exploring the drug user end of it and then like her she says herself like I, I I didn't know how to approach the supply end and it's like clear clearly you don't you still don't know how right she said it herself in the podcast and it's like you 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 I'm sorry you didn't do a good job of that and and you know it's funny because I think You know, not to make it too messy, but there was like responses on social media from some of the folks who worked on this piece where they were like, oh, you're not listening to the communities and community members are on there telling the the authors, no, you're not listening to us. And it's like crazy to not have that that self-awareness and to take a step back and say, hey, maybe we we messed up, right? uh, To not use the other word. Hey, maybe we messed up let me take, let us take a step back and reflect, like, are we doing more damage to a community with this piece than we are, you know? And clearly the the Chronicle responded, like I think how many, like a week or two later or whatever. So there was like some internal dialogue around like, are we doing more damage with this piece then? But I think there's this like, this is objective truth. Right. And I, you know, I have problems with people who say like, this is objective truth. Right. But like, th- I think that was like the the perspective and the fault of like traditional journalism where it's like, oh, we're just presenting the facts. We're not taking any sides here. This is just objective journalism, good or bad and different, worse. Right. Like harm who it may harm. This is just objective facts. And it's like, no, th- th- it's not. It doesn't work that way. Right. Like those who are most vulnerable, those who are um, you know, discriminated, oppressed, like those are the people who are damaged through like these objective facts, right? That are that are quote unquote being presented as 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 you know authentic journalism or unbiased journalism, right?
0: I wanna get into maybe ask a question or two about your solidarity work, Nestor, and this is why, because I think it's really important. Um it provides a, a layer of context, right? It almost makes you um, the perfect person to speak uh, on something like this, not objective. Right. I mean, I, you, you mentioned traditional journalism where it was like because of your solid solidarity work, you know, in traditional journalism circles, they would have dismissed you from writing or touching something like this, but it gives you even more context. And, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned, um, you know, was the supply end uh, of it. You know, I'm from a family of of, of addicts, you know, uh, I have a, an idea of how, how drugs work in this country. And I have the, I, you know, the wherewithal to know because of context and experience that, dealers on the corner aren't the ones that are responsible for the flow of drugs in this country we could get into that if we want to or if we want if we don't want to um but i do want to get into your solidarity work um you know tell us a little bit about that and uh, for those of who don't know you also uh once upon a time were a pretty consistent columnist with El decolote with your Perspective column which is an award-winning one by the way i should mention uh, but talk to us about your um your solidarity work with uh with central american communities
3: I think right around the time that I was in, as an undergrad at San Francisco State, I, uh, I'll i try to do the short version of this story, but uh, I was in a class with a, a Central American professor who's, uh, I think has been uh, featured in in some of the Te Colote work, uh, Felix Curie, and it was, a, it was an organizing class. Um, and one of the requirements for that class was to do like sort of uh, community service learning, right, uh, do a set of number of hours during the semester with an organization, and I think at that time I was still sort of exploring my, like, identity, sort of, like, how do, how do I sort of relate to the Central American community, like, especially sort of in a, on an international level. I, I was I didn't know why people weren't concerned with what was happening in Latin America, and, and here, right? Like that sort of that connection to me, it's like, well, if you want to like resolve, like the issues that immigrants are going through, we have to look back at, at Latin America, right? Like what is pushing them out and sort of, you know, why are people migrating? So I, have, I think in, in retrospect, those are some of the questions that I was sort of thinking about and, and trying to grapple with. And I started uh, just as a volunteer with um, a small little organization, which used to be a massive organization in the 80s. Uh, called CISPIS, which is the Committee in Solidarity with the People of El Salvador, and I started off just as a volunteer, and um, pretty soon um, I, I, you know, was getting more involved. Eventually I became the local coordinator, um, did a a number of trips um, to El Salvador through CISPIS to do um, election observing, to do, uh, to work on other campaigns. There was like an anti mining campaign that CISPIS was engaged with, because uh, there was this Canadian company that was trying to do mining for gold, which is actually the same. I don't know if it's the same Canadian company, but it's another Canadian company called Gold Core that was in the town that the, these uh reporters were reporting on that were that was uh extracting gold and left that left that whole region in ruin once they pulled out, right? There's there's if you just go back and read actually the reports like you, you all you have to do is like a Google search and like you get plenty of reports about like how that mi- how the mining industry just sort of devastated that whole region. And like there's countless reporting on the way that environmentalists have been harassed as a result, like from the state and other actors and stuff during the during during those very turbulent um, years in after the coup. So yeah, I mean, my my first sort of introdu- introduction to solidarity work was through El Salvador. I'm Salvadoran. My family's from El Salvador. Um, but then it sort of expanded right like once you're once you start doing solidarity work it's like you see the connections it's it's like a, a a light turns on in your head and you're like oh well we should also be in solidarity with the people of mexico we should also be in people with in solidarity with the caribbean haiti and cuba and like all of a sudden you you begin to see the the connections and and so like honduras um, during that same sort of time period right when i was traveling to El salvador um there's a coup that takes place right the democratically elected president of Honduras Manuel Zelaya is removed from office right like the you know we we don't have to go into the details now because this is sort of not ancient history but it's it's uh, it's it's relevant history but it, it's it's been reported on multiple times and so that was sort of my first um work with with you know we brought speakers who were part of the resistance at that time to San Francisco State I was still a student I saw the you know they came they as part of a delegation uh, presented on it and since then I've sort of been uh, not as involved as I was but I've always had that piece of like trying to be um, informed about what's happening in Central America, try to express solidarity or support organizations that are working with community-based organizations and social movements out in, in Central America. So that's always been there and it continue it'll continue to be there. Um, and, and, you know, and then you know, as part of, of writing for, for the DECO, right, is, is trying to bring that, that perspective of solidarity to, to the, the, my writing and stuff. And, and, um, trying to highlight examples of solidarity, examples of social movements. You know, the the interesting thing is, as I sort of reflected on on this piece, is like, you know, I I interviewed this kid from Honduras uh, a couple of years ago now, right? And like, we did a couple of sessions and this was like at the peak of the, the unaccompanied minors when they were arriving. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, I just never got around to like public, like really writing it, really fleshing it out and publishing uh, the piece, the the multiple interviews I did with him. Um, He was in the East Bay. He he was living, he was uh, being sponsored by this very generous like family in Castro Valley, like white folks who, you know, uh, good politics, whatever. And they were doing what they could to to help this this kid out but it was like it's such an opposite story of what was published in the chronicle right because it's it like what i was hoping is to provide context like the migration story like the 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 the, all the things that he went through and like had he not had maybe that super generous family that like support system that's that network that are that were responding in that moment right if though if those like very fragile um, support networks, right? Safety nets that are often there, put together by community and not by the state and not by local governments, right? Who knows where where he would have been, right? But who knows what his situation would have been um, here in this country? It would have been maybe much more uh, precarious. Mean, I mean, it was already precarious, but much more precarious. And so it's like, and it, it when I re- read that piece, it never felt like there was that that like extra due diligence of like trying to figure out like you know they mentioned the mining but it's like very like oh this is it's sort of like this this is how it goes right like oops you know like company pulls out of town and like poor, poor brown people, poor, poor Central Americans, right? It's just like, if it's not one thing, it's another, you know, it it just seems like, rather than saying like, this is how the, that industry works, right? Like it's an extractive industry when there's no longer anything to extract, hey, they pack up and they leave and they leave these communities to suffer the consequences. And on top of that, right, it's like extractive. they cause social, social disruption, right? Because they do provide better paying jobs but they put communities again they pit communities against each other because they know the those who are organizing against these extractive industries know the 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 long-term impact of mining right and so they pick communities against each other who say like people who say, well, this is providing me a good job. And others who are saying, well, this is going to damage our community for years, right? And it's disruptive in more than one way, right? Not just disruptive to the environment, it's disruptive to the social environment too. And there's greed and there's the state comes in, right? And so like, did the authors explore any of that? No, but that wasn't their angle, right? Their angle was to show how Hondureños are drug dealers and, you know, and th- th- where they come from which to me at the end of the day wasn't really like there wasn't much evidence of that even in the their piece that was the other piece It was like you guys are just sort of saying things like if if any other journalist were to say this about i don't know a midwestern town in ohio about like you you would want more evidence right you would want more evidence to show but it's like because it's central america it's like oh yep yeah. like we just accept that they, they're sending their worst, right? They're not sending their best.
0: <laughs> you had to weave that in there, I see. Nice, good job. Um, yeah, Ness, I don't wanna keep you too much longer, man, but um, uh, I guess final question um, here, and it's not necessarily a question, but something I'd like to offer uh, all of our guests, and that's uh, a chance to relay um, any any final thoughts, um, anything that you know maybe I didn't um, ask correctly or didn't ask at all. Um, but anyway, the the floor is yours, man, to kind of just sound off.
3: I think um, more than anything, uh, giving giving thanks to to you all and at El Teco for for being an outlet for not just me, but like for an entire community of community journalists, community like activists, organizers, who uh, you provide a space to respond for to to to, to things like this. this is like a good example of it but it's not it's it's the the reporting that you all have done um over the years um and so i just want to want to shout out you and and uh and el teco for for the work that you all have done um and then recommend that folks look into some of the other pieces that have been written about in response to this there's a really great uh piece that was written by the the compa carlos martinez and has a, a more of a public health sort of harm reduction approach to how we should be thinking about this. And I think it's a, a really good starter piece for folks who are thinking about like, yeah, what what is the the solution to this? How do we begin to sort of tackle this and highlight some of the other ways that the the SF Chronicle piece falls short. Um, and yeah, just to say that, you know, the especially with the election coming up in you know the national election some of some of what's happening at, at the national stage well we'll don't be surprised and at the local level right it seems like it's been more more um what's the right word i don't know if hostile is the right word but more like just uh, it, it's it's like a, it's at of like a, a level 10 right now it seems like at the, at the local level um for just the way that things are, are sort of, are, are, at this moment, sort of really dangerous. I think in in ways that we can swing towards, like a very reactionary, very punitive sort of model, which is what's being advocated for. And again, immigrants are sort of at the center of this, right? This 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 like. Um, this idea that, oh, our ills will be solved if we just get rid of these people, or if we just, or if we're just tough on these people, right? These like moral bad actors. Um, and that's not just happening here, right? It's also, and this is why the sort of Black Lives Matter movement was so relevant, not just for the Black and African American community, but for all communities, right? It's like that th- these sort of punitive actions are just harming those who are in the most vulnerable and precarious positions. It's like you look at right now what's actually happening in Central America right now in a place like El Salvador, where the 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 popular the most popular president in all of Latin America, his approach is a punitive one, right? It's like, let's lock up as many people as we can. This is what's going to solve our problem. And it's like, OK, well, it may solve it in the short term right in the very n- near short term it might make things somewhat quote unquote safer but in the long term you're not getting to the root cause right you're not getting to what the root is right and it's like all of the the way in which central americans have sort of been framed in popular media or like or the or news outlets right is like these are criminals, you know, go back front to the 80s, to the 90s, to the early 2000s, like, right? you know, the Bush regime when, where the, the, the Maras Salvatrucha became the, the focal point. Right. It's like unless we're getting to the root cause of why folks turn to this. Right. Or or why this is a part of the, the migrant experience then we're going to continue sort of delivering these one shallow analysis right, of, of the problem. And then therefore uh, shallow or, or, or very nearsighted uh, solutions, right, that don't get at the root of the problem and that may cause more damage than they actually do to, to fix the problem, which is in this case, right, how do we solve the issue of, of drug use? And it's like, well, one, what is why is it that so many Americans, you know, what is it about our system, right? And I'm not the first to say this. You know, there's experts who say, what is it about this system that makes people want to self-medicate, right? Like what are what are the ailments that what are they trying to 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 heal by by turning to what we call illicit drugs, right? And so anywho, not I'm now I'm sort of uh, now I've gone off the rails a bit, but but uh, yeah, I just wanted to to turn back and give thanks to to El Teco for for publishing this piece, um, and and for the great community work that you all do, and and to and and to also highlight the 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 organizers, activists, and resistors on the streets, right, who also came out and and part made this sort of uh, made the the Chronicle react, right, because they had to respond to the community, and and that's I think has the biggest impact. on on making change
0: a special thanks again to Roberto Lovato Suyapa Portillo and Nestor Castillo thank you all for listening my name is fatima ramirez and i'm the executive director of accion latina the proud publisher of el tecolote newspaper i would like to personally invite you to our golden legacy gala happening on august 26 2023 at saint mary's cathedral in san francisco we are celebrating 53 years of award winning bilingual journalism in service to the latinx community in the bay area and beyond join us for a fun-filled night with hosts rick salinas and richard montoya from culture clash Live music by La Familia Peña Govea and Conjunto Corazón featuring Francisco Herrera, José Cuellar, Liliana Herrera, and Enrique Ramírez. And Dance the Night Away with the John Santos Extet and Friends. Bid on our silent art auction and buy your tickets to this historic gala celebration at accionlatina.org. Donations are also appreciated. Muchas gracias.